Hello and welcome to Deep Inward, a special Doof crossover event where we super thoroughly dive into Wabo's most longest work after it's finished. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. Uh, hello to those of you who haven't heard us before. Hi. Uh, we, we don't usually talk parahumans, but this was a special bonus that we promised to do uh, when everyone helped us reach a donation goal during our 24-hour packed live stream. Yes, uh, we did a 24-hour charity live stream when we completed our show called Deep Impact, uh, also on the Doof Media Network. <laughs> and uh, during that live stream, we got a bunch of donations, and one of the donation rewards was people wanted to do us a, uh, wanted us to do a special episode where we dove deep into Ward. Yes, and that's what you're listening to right now. <clears throat> yep, that's right. We're going to go super deep into a two million word so story yeah. in, in about an hour or so. You know. Well, no, if people look at their, you know, the duration of their podcast device, they'll see that this is a 40 hour long episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And don't worry about the last 39 and a half being dead air. That's that's on yeah. your end. <laughs> um. Um, yes. So if you missed this uh, 24 hour charity live stream all packed up, uh, all of the segments, well, all, all of the segments, a lot of the segments are on YouTube. All of them are going to be on YouTube. They're coming out one or two every week. Yeah, it's, uh, it's two a week. There's about two thirds of it up there now. The rest, you know, come out over the, you know, the next half a month or so. Yep. So if you want to check that out, go to uh, Doof Media's YouTube channel. Or if you want more uh, content from us, we also do the Pale Reflections show, which is talking about Wildbo's current web serial, Pale. Yes. So if you listen to We've Got Ward, which I'm assuming you do, considering you're listening mm-hmm. to this, uh, that's what it, this is. Yep. It, it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, Except with us, yeah. instead of those Scott and Matt scallywags. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So enough housekeeping. Should we talk? Should we, should we, as we say on this show, go deep inward? Yes. But before we do, I, I want to get something <laughs> off my chest. I said enough housekeeping. <laughs> Uh, no, I just this isn't housekeeping so much as me just starting the episode off on a real negative tone, which is obviously mm, what everyone's after. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I just I, I'm really mad about the name for this special that we're doing, Deep in Ward, because it is so much better. It's a better than, name, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like Deep Impact is a stupid pun based on a movie. It turns out neither of us had actually seen. Nope. Um, <laughs> Deep in Ward is not only like just genuinely like better wordplay but actually suits this story like like victoria is such an introspective character Mm -hmm. so calling the show deep in ward actually makes sense and so like it's kind of aggravating that you know we're doing a a, a once-off special with you know probably the best name for a podcast we've ever had well i mean it doesn't have to be a once-off special elliot (laughs) if people are really keen on it and they tweet at elliot a lot we might do a full series of it yeah, and I so my Twitter is at ZorgLord. On, yeah, yeah, on... damn it, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, you're right. Uh, this is a much better name than most of the puns we come up with. So um, it makes sense that it was an accident and not us you yeah, know, coming up yeah. with a pun because otherwise it wouldn't be as good as this. Everything about this name just frustrates me because it's too good and yeah. it, it reflects poorly on us. Yep. Um, anyway, that weird rant out of the way should yep. we talk about the actual story yes um so let's start with a quick like summary of ward i'm assuming if you're listening to this you have read ward but it you know well, it's been like a month i don't know oh yeah well especially if, if you're like me and you didn't really reread any of it as as you go you know it's like almost three years back for some of it mm-hmm. um so we'll just do a quick recap um and you know again this this whole episode is like full ward spoilers so um, yeah buckle in 
um i'm, I'm gonna sort of summarize the story here super broadly like not even arc by arc but like a higher level um mm. just to sort of talk about because i think it's interesting how this story i think is kind of clearly divided into some chunks that each tie to a particular part of victoria's like character's journey like her growth mm. Mm. um like obviously the first sort of three arcs as a whole um are just like us meeting victoria and then you know the rest of what will become breakthrough uh when she joins up as their temporary coach yep um very temporary <laughs> three years or so um but yeah so you know th- this is these are the arcs where you know victoria gets kicked out of the patrol because she's got powers she goes job hunting like it's mm-hmm. all about her f- sort of finding herself and not being able to hide away anymore and you know yeah. she's been floating and now she has to sort of find a purpose for herself yeah she's kind of you know one or two things kick off which force her into a new phase of her life and she's kind of figuring out how to define herself in that phase yeah because she kind of got away with hiding herself away when she was in the patrol yeah. and she's not really in a position to do that and she doesn't want to as much like there's already I think growth that's happened between Golden Morning Victoria and the Victoria here that, you know, we sort of briefly get caught up on. Um, yeah. And then, so arcs four through six um, uh, are super interesting because this is all the hollow point stuff and the Fallen Raid. And I, I really see this as like Victoria being forced to leave her glory girl days behind. Like hollow mm. point kind of represents her trying to establish the good old days of hero villain dynamics. And it fails fucking completely to the point that the Fallen Raid happens. And then, like, you get that iconic moment where the, they get to the Fallen Raid and there's, like, machine gun fire and, you know, like, guns were so representative of the rules of the old order. And they've, that's just completely out the window as this raid kicks off. Yeah. Uh, and God. then you... Oh. This story really was a, th- a full three-year-long period, doesn't it? I'm thinking of this and, like, I remember when that was like, oh, man, this is, like, the biggest thing that's, that's <laughs> yeah. happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah remember it's, such, it's where, such an epic ward like, remember that, this is the how crazy this story is do you remember that bit when kenzie drops a camera on somebody and at the time that was like oh my god this is the biggest escalation i've ever seen <laughs> can you imagine thinking that <laughs> i mean you go yeah you saw the same thing in in worm as well i think it's yeah. a bit of a wild post staple where a few arcs in you're like oh my god i can't believe you know taylor you know fucked up someone's foot and then you know by the end of the story she's obviously just like taking control of thousands of people and shooting toddlers yeah so (laughs) she does um, classic taylor yeah yeah. uh but yeah i think i think also what what really focuses all the hollow point the fallen stuff for me is rain like obviously there's like a whole bunch of interludes the story focuses on him but he represents this idea that victoria really starts to grapple with i think in these three arcs of like forgiveness and and what people can earn forgiveness for yeah i i think early victoria definitely feels quite um i don't know black and white i guess like she definitely sees things in terms of you're either a hero or you're a villain right yeah Um, and uh this is uh i mean rain as a character especially but this this arc starts to really challenge that yeah well because because rain represents the you know the nazis she used to throw into dumpsters right like in a lot of ways like he's someone who grew up in and then did some terrible extra terrible things of that nature and he then had a wake-up call and is trying to improve himself and trying to make up for what he did and victoria sort of has to grapple with how she feels about that um and that way that's very textual my the 
I think the bit that best encapsulates that for me is that moment where she's trying to stop Cradle from getting him towards the end of the mm. Fallen Raid. And mm. Cradle has that moment where she, where he's like, uh, you know, Rain took me from me, which is obviously a bit of a line that gets recontextualized later. Um, but it really hits Victoria as like reminding her of, you know, what she went through with Amy. And and there's this moment where she's like, fuck, do, sh- should I? Like, mm. Um, and, and like that's a, I think that was like a bit of a turning point for her when she made the decision that Rain was trying to get better and that was worth helping him for. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it kind of makes me wonder whether... Well, actually, I already know the answer to this because I've listened to the interview with um, Marbo and, and Scott and Matt that was on this very feed probably two or three episodes back if you scroll <laughs> up in the podcast app. Um, it, it, it almost feels explicitly like it's setting up the idea of Victoria being more willing to... I guess, work with Amy or, or, you know, reconcile with Amy to some extent or allow Amy to reconcile. And that idea never really eventuates as cleanly as Rain's reconciliation takes place, right? Yeah, I definitely agree that that's where my mind went and that might have been like an intention of Wabo to making us think because I think a lot of this story... Uh, no sorry i think a lot of us went into this story expecting some sort of like redemption arc for amy or mm. something to some degree mm. and then the the story just sort of keeps going and it just keeps getting worse um should we talk about uh i don't know if this is in the notes here um but you're kind of a, a bit of an amy apologist or at least oh, oh yeah I, you were at the start of the story no i absolutely was at the start of this story and i, I could blame tons of things like not having read worm closely enough or blah blah, blah. like i for me, that's not the point. I think what I really took away from from Amy in this is like I kept saying, oh, you know, I, I get Victoria's perspective, but it's obviously, you know, bias or whatever. And Amy, you know, she didn't mean it. Mm. And and then eventually the story just, you know, made it clear to me that that is not at all the case. And Amy was actually the worst. And I mm. really liked that as I, I think and we talked about this way back when we covered Worm on Media MD. What really made me grow to love Worm when I first read it was how the interludes taught me to care about so many characters. Like, Wabo would introduce a character and I'd be like, oh, you know, they're a piece of shit maybe or, or something. Or and just, then we get an interlude uh, you know, from their perspective and I'd have this whole new this whole new idea of who they were. And even if I didn't like them better, I kind of got how they became who they were. Mm. And Amy represented a bit of a flip of that for me where, you know, this was someone who I kept saying, no, she's just misunderstood and she had a really hard time of it. And then we, we sort of see more of her. And especially by the time you get to her interludes in Arc 16, you're just like, fuck Amy so hard. Like, <laughs> and, and I think that was like really actually just as valuable as like the, the way Worm taught me to try to see other people's perspectives ward also was then sort of like yeah but sometimes they're just being fucking idiots yeah i mean sometimes you need to take care of yourself and look out for yourself right yeah, and that yeah, means exactly. not necessarily putting yourself in a perspective where you have to you know be a saint in terms of trying to always forgive people who are who are toxic to you yeah so like, like i what about you? Well, because there's a lot of statements that I said in sort of defense of Amy that I now very much regret saying. And I think it was valuable for me to learn that lesson, you know, especially mm. here in a fictional setting, um, mm. like so that I can watch out for something like that in real life. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, sorry. Anyway, yes, that interrupted sorry. the plot summary. So back back to the plot summary. So arc six, uh, the fallen raid ends with that whole portal debacle um, oh, with yeah. the portals expanding. Yeah. Yeah. Which, remember when that was, like, the hugest fucking oh problem? God. 
Um, That's like nothing compared to, you know, late, late story stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's crazy and, to me. It's so crazy to me to think about the consistent, even as, I mean, okay, obviously Worm is a story about things escalating, right? Mm. Like the word escalation is such a meme around that story. And this story is so much a, I guess, response to that, right? Like yep. a response to the idea of escalation and, and uh, trauma defining you and, and, you know, talking about how to move on from those traumas. But also Ward also is this story where <laughs> things just keep getting bigger and worse. Yeah. Um, and, until and, the and, end. But it's die. almost, it's not like, you know, like Taylor was sort of diving headfirst into the escalations to try and do more. Whereas mm. v- Victoria, it's it's a little bit different, and it's just kind of the problems that keep entering her life are getting bigger, and it's like she's being faced with bigger hurdles. Whereas like Taylor was finding hurdle tracks that she could run into. Yeah, I guess she solves some of these as well, right? Like yeah, the goddess situation is one that is a again a big escalation, but one that Victoria pushes against and solves. Yes. So uh, yeah, let's get there actually because we're almost yeah. there. Um. So, yeah, after the portal shebang, uh, arcs 7 and 8 kick off. And, uh, like, for 7 and 8, I think I'd just sort of summarize them as, like, society truly starting to, like, fall apart a bit. Like, this is when a lot of the anti-parahuman stuff really started to come into the story. Um, The portals have obviously sort of fucked everything up. And uh, Victoria launches, like, her new, like, hero group network thing, which I think is, like, her trying to adapt. Like, this is where she takes on what she learned in arcs four through six that the old system was falling apart she's trying something new and then that all kind of gets sidetracked and usurped in arc nine when goddess shows up and um i i really like this arc not just because i think it taps into victoria's like issues with you know her herself like that's obviously something that very much comes up is having control over her mental faculties after Mm. like what amy did to her uh during the slaughterhouse nine in worm yeah but I think it also, more interestingly to me, starts to tap into any kind of, you know, belief system and moral righteousness she has. Because she has her old mantra, which, you know, used to come up a lot, like, you know, follow the law. Um, if if that's not clear, do what's right. If that's not clear, like, you know, reach out. Mm. And what happens then is that that whole ordering gets completely sort of twisted by Goddess. And I think from that point, a, a little bit invalidated, like it, it's something that is called into question because the whole point of it relies on you sort of knowing what each of those things are and goddess called that into question yeah i i I think when i was first reading through it i had the thought of it being a compromise of victoria's morals but i don't think that's fair because it doesn't it's not a degradation right it feels Mm. like an evolution or an adaptation as victoria gets more I guess, realistic about the world that she lives in and less idealistic. Yeah, like to to bounce off what you said before, like I think she's maybe still thinking a bit black and white here and, you know, like the law will be okay and, and, you know, or, you know, do what you think is right. And then Goddess kind of teaches her that she may not always know what is right um, because Goddess can skew that. And I think this is actually the same time in the story where Citrine becomes the law. Um, Like definitely by the end of Arc 9, that's the case. So... Like, by the end of Arc 9, Victoria is sort of sitting here and it's like, okay, so the law is now in the hands of Citrine and I've learned from Goddess that I can't necessarily always trust myself to know what is right. Mm. Uh, So all she's kind of got left is to reach out. Which, honestly, best of the three. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it works out towards the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so after Goddess, um, I've kind of grouped arcs 10 through 12 as this sort of cradle, love lost, march um, debacle. Uh, you know, it's obviously a lot here. Um, especially to do with like, you know, with, with all the chopping up of the navigators and then eventually the, what did we call like the underside of heartbroken breakthrough alliance? I forget. Under. Scott right. and Matt had some sort of funny right. hybrid name for the whole thing. Yeah. Um, We're not it, good at coming up with funny names here. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'll leave do. you to workshop it as I keep explaining. Um, we'll edit something back in right here. And you're editing that one, right, Elliot? Because I'm not going to remember to go back and do that. Um, but yeah, so the um, so there's a lot of stuff here to do with yeah, like all the chopping up of people sort of taps into Victoria's like body issues that that come from her time in the asylum. Um, but like, like I think again, there's there's a lot more stuff like with Cradle and Love Lost back into things. There's again a lot of like what is forgivable and what is something society can accept like cradle you know does a shit on that line um march is is kind of so she's lost touch with reality to the point that you can't just like treat her normally like you can't just like incarcerate her or something or or predict her at all Mm. um so it's kind of like for me i think there's a lot of thematic follow-up in 10 through 12 to the fallen stuff and i think that's why cradle and love lost coming back works so well because it's kind of the the next step of that and so they pop up again not just that i i do think the cradle fight in the uh you know warehousey area thing yep in that building is one of my favorite parts of this story the yeah. sheer wait hold on that's that's a segment we've got we've got later and and, and you can you can get to mm. it there all right okay wait but then for this part how about um the heartbreakers because it's heartbroken breakthrough and undersiders heartbreakers do you want me to do a clean take of that so you can edit it back in yeah I'll, I'll, i promise you i'll put it back in the heartbreakers nice um... anyway what's the next arc <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so uh, after they sort out Cradle and Love Lost and also March, yep. um, which was just such a fun moment in the story, that whole March bit, well, like, that okay. was just Wabo having bit, fun with the audience in a really yes. great way. The bit where um, where Wabo first, I mean, he di- he started to do some of this stuff, I guess, in, in other things, but this to me was the part where Wabo really started going ham with breaking the format, right? Yeah. Um, like... And and we get to the bit later where he does the um, like the coloured fingers thing, uh, which is another weird little format break. But the yep. one with Vista, uh, where it's like a fake chapter ending, <laughs> is I one of the coolest format breaks I've ever seen, and it's so fun. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Um, watching the reaction was probably the best bit of of people melting down and then finding out like it was. That was, yeah. it, it was it was such a good delivery on exactly what it wanted to do. I still remember there was a part where, like, one of the top comments right after the chapter came out was like, what the hell, that can't be the end. And then the next comment was, scroll down. <laughs> <laughs> and it got so many upvotes. Um, yeah. So so anyway, after that, after, you know, March gets got by Vista, um, mm-hmm. Space Beats time, uh, we <laughs> hit in Arc 13, Um and again, I'm kind of grouping 13 through 15 in a bit of a like control arc. This is a bit of a loose grouping, to be honest. Like arc 13 mm. is the diary situation with the buddy yeah. cop stuff with Tattletail. Yeah. Um, then arc 14 is when they end up in prison on Shin, mm. and uh, arc yes, 15 right. is then oh, uh, you know fighting teacher in his base, uh, which is 
I, I think to my mind probably the most epic battle mm. um and yeah like i've sort of grouped these all under like control and and that's a bit loose because like arc 13 all the stuff with the diary i saw that as very much a like controlling oh victorious sort of you know losing control over who how people see her like and that was obviously something that was very important to victoria her image, like she, yeah yeah her, her image and that that's what gets undermined there and of course you get like tattletale who's someone who you know is is famous for seeing through bullshit uh to show up as, as sort of the buddy for that one yeah. um and then after 14 yeah. like is all about the prison and and you know being put in this foreign culture and it's about sort of losing that societal freedom like you know obviously like a prison you just straight up have lost a lot of freedoms um but also like you know the fact that it's a foreign one and they're not sure what they can do and of course you know what better way to emphasize like a loss of all sorts of general freedoms mm-hmm. than having amy show up again yeah this is victoria's lowest point right i would say uh not just about well in terms of like i mean she doesn't do anything necessarily wrong here but like the the point at which her trauma is the most thrown in her face yes absolutely um Which, this is this is one of her toughest personal challenges i think yeah and god was this hard to get through this <laughs> yes i mean <laughs> fuck me this yeah, is I, like brutally brutally upsetting yeah well 100 percent. like i yeah arc 14 is i i've just been re-listening to it in the audiobook um and it's just like it's just harsh um it's it's such a like mentally brutal arc um and then yeah and then and then after that after they do escape from uh shin then they join the teacher raid and this is very much like you know teacher's been pulling all these strings and and again all this stuff isn't isolated to these arcs i'm very broadly summarizing them um but again the whole stuff all all the stuff with teacher to me is all about like you know again being able to like control your destiny like teacher is someone who has been pushing everyone's well nudging everyone into the directions and the places he wants them and uh of course that you know is perfectly summed up when contessa shows up as well to you know present them the closest thing you can get to a real life trolley problem um (laughs) by you know taking destiny out of their or you know actually she does the opposite she puts destiny kind of completely in their hands in a very limited way yeah in a way that is very much like there's that one of the things i like most about that is they kind of try to question it a bit like what if she's actually trying to do this other thing and it's so un like this it obviously i didn't realize this at the time but it's setting up just how unbeatable contessa is like she's just so many levels deep that she could be double bluffing you quadruple bluffing you sex double bluffing you whatever and it wouldn't even matter because whatever level you engage on with that's her, the that's one the she level knows she's about. working on exactly <laughs> yeah. and then that is kind of perfectly setting up um contessa in air quotes as one of the major threats that has to be dealt with at the end of the story well it, yeah it's so interesting because essentially what's set up is the only reason contessa is beatable is because of the blind spots her shards put in so the second she kind of tightens out into fortuna you're like well okay now now they're fucked aren't they yeah like, but w- the other thing it emphasizes to me is you kind of it emphasizes this idea of like you kind of just can't play her game the only way yeah. to beat her is not playing the game she's playing because yeah, you I, just can't beat her at her I, games i think that's basically what citrine says at one point it doesn't citrine have a moment where she's like the way to beat contessa is to hope that she, or to make sure you're not in a position where she needs to use you mm. um 
and yeah I, like i agree that's so perfect like i i had been waiting for contessa to take a more forward role in the series ever since like worm and i was so glad that she sort of had this moment of interacting with a main character to this degree i thought it was mm. i thought it was really fun um yeah. and then uh basically i have just grouped the last five arcs like 16 through 20 as just kind of the the shard space and titans section of the story um which like to me you know and, and i i always felt like this was like one of victoria's biggest things this whole idea of human versus parahuman you know and like this is something we see like she's having this argument with jessica in arc one or arc two of the story you know and jessica was having this argument with taylor and fucking halfway through worm um but titans represent this complete loss of like the human side of you and Mm. even with the ones like dauntless and eve where there's still a hint of the person in them uh with some sort of action it's like they're they're not the person completely anymore they're mostly parahuman and it's such a fun representation of this sort of final thing victoria's been battling which is you know the human versus parahuman part of herself and finding finding that balance between her and the uh fragile one yeah um yeah i love that the idea of I mean, you know, the, this story culminates in the thoughts around, or not even culminates, is kind of dealing with the idea of what is a parahuman that dis- distinguishes them from a human and the idea of the traumas that parahumans go through as this kind of defining thing that separates them and then takes this and says, okay, so if we want to tell a story about kind of reunifying after these traumas, what better way to do it than by making the enemy the literal embodiment of the differences between humans and parahumans? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and of course, you know, they're giant and super fucking powerful as well. So you hit like the, like, you know, fucking awesome side of things as well as the thematic resonance. Yeah, um, you get your and, required dose of kaiju. Yeah, exactly. And and then, you know, like, I, I think this is why that whole concept of the unpowered becoming, you know, parts of the solution throughout these sections of the story feels so right because it's basically Victoria realizing that that human side is actually pretty fucking important because without it, they're just a shard machine you know who's kind of controlled by contessa like it's the human part of them that makes them important and Mm. that's what they use to beat fortuna it's really cool yeah definitely um and then they win and then what happens and then there's the epilogue which like yeah we, we might almost talk about it a bit more later but like i really like it as basically the epilogue is the story is over now but it's going to go on like you know they, they still have to push on it like the story doesn't end you, you keep pushing on um but you know wobbo doesn't need to write about the rest of it yeah but at least you get some nice cool birthday parties out of it too <laughs> yes it all works out yeah so that's um ward in well, looking at it just under 30 minutes yeah that's pretty good i think <laughs> it's about as good as you can get i think without doing 200 hours yeah it really makes me realize how much there is in this story like oh i'm reducing entire like wait we didn't even mention eclipse you know like i just oh yeah we didn't oh my god (laughs) elliot like that was that was such a high level summary of the story it's actually it's crazy like these the thoughts that you know the portals and the fallen raid and there's a bit where i remember this one fight scene where teacher had like this pharmacist and was teleporting people in with crazy guns and yeah that's an argument functions were there i'm like oh wait that was like a major part of the story. There was like a week where that was the most important thing in my life. And that <laughs> happened every week for for three years. It's kind of bonkers. Yeah. Well, I think for both of us, this was our first time following a Wild Bo story live, right? We, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. We we you know binged Worm, and I think you binged Packed, and, yeah. and this was our first time sort of reading a story serially as he as he releases it, and it's crazy what a difference it makes to how it sits in your head. Yeah, there's just so many bits to it. Yes, in fact, speaking of, uh, the next segment is just, what's your favourite bit in Ward, Ruben? Um, interesting. I, I, God, I kind of, it's hard to choose because they're all so different, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, uh, if I'm judging based on, like, my favourite kind of combat or cool power interactions, it might be the cradle fight because that cradle fight, fuck's sake, is so cool. Yeah, that's um, um that's the bit I've got. I've just written the cradle march section. Um, I'm mostly thinking of, yeah, that bit where that, that you brought up before where Cradle, where they're fighting Cradle, like in that corner world. Yeah, and, and he's got um, his hand-based technologies. Yeah, oh, and even before that, there's all the stuff in the forest with his lackeys. Yes. Um, there's so much yeah, going that, on, and you know that, the March stuff is like the main part that's happening elsewhere, and they start to get like the side effects of that as as Kronos like, you know, pops up and everything. Like there's, there's sort of so much going on. And and even the bit before this where they team up with the Heartbroken and the Undersiders and they split up yeah. into, into the three teams is some of the coolest shit. Like, I loved the interlude structure we fell into there. Darlene's interlude is right up there for me. Like, that, that fucking fight she has against Operator Red where mm. she's, like, hurting herself. Like, biting her him. tongue to throw him <laughs> off and shit. It's... It's one of the most insane fucking chapters in this story, which is really saying something. Yeah. Um, right, the, she, the, this arc, the Cradle March stuff, is is some of the most visceral part. Uh, sorry, it's probably the most visceral part of the story, and I just loved it. Um, I, I'm looking at the notes, and I, I swear to God I was going to say this before I saw you'd written it down as well. <laughs> but Kenzie's interlude also is, I think... yes. A defining part of this story to me uh, and kenzie's character I mean, we'll touch on that in a bit i think but yeah kenzie's stuff man yeah kenzie's good. kenzie's interlude is my favorite single wild bow chapter yeah um so enough. far uh like it's yeah it, it was so good uh i was so excited for the like martin family dinner Oh yeah, we um, all knew it was coming. We all knew it was going to be wild. It was. It was. It was even better than I hoped. You know, normally, like when you get your expectations real high, something could let you down just because you had your expectations too high. Mine were insane for this, and it still met them. Yep. Um, and a similar thing where expectations were incredibly high, and it still met even or exceeded them was um, finally finding out the story between uh, Byron and Tristan. Yep. Yep. Another just a, incredible uh, pair of interludes, I think it was. Oh, it was a trio in the end, I believe. Trio they had one last one where they flickered between them. Um, God, what a what a what a bit! Um, yeah, there's just so much cool shit in this book, right? <laughs> um, I remember, like, fuck, this is so far back, but you know, in 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 arc one, this community center thing, when yep. Victoria goes and meets Crystal Clear and uh, Tempura and stuff like that. I can't remember the character's name, but I, I just remember it's something like Tempura, and that's what, how I always had it in my head. Um, I think it's Tempera. Yeah. I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> like, that's... I, I remember reading that first arc as it was coming out and just being like, fuck, this is so cool. Like, I'm just so in love with all of these characters so quickly. Like, Crystal Clear and Tempera. Um I, I fell in love with them so quickly and uh, a bad apple, rotten apple, whatever you want to call it, fume hood, um, that so quickly I was so on board with all of these completely new characters, right? Um, yeah, yeah. 
and it really just showed to me like this is going to be such a great story i'm so excited to to see where it goes yeah yeah same it's it's a very strong opening i'll admit glowworm was maybe a bit above where i was at i think most of it flew over my head right there was a Um, lot of um trying to figure out hey who's this what's this kind of thing uh yeah and i think think a lot of people i think a lot of people knew worm a lot better than i did and did a lot better there i had no idea and i was just kind of reading what to me was was just nonsense because i i just didn't know enough about what's happening whereas you know going back to glowworm now i i love it but at the time it was just like i was sitting down twice a week and being like what is what but the bit where um Kenzie has to take down all her robots, man, yeah. that's incredible. How could you not love that? No, I love it now. I'm just saying when when it first came out, that was like for me the bit where I was like, Too is this to story going to be super complicated? And I was glad it was just like, I think Wild Bo sort of popped on and said, yeah, this is meant to be like a really galaxy brain teaser. Um, yeah. That's not his words. I'm paraphrasing. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's the kind of thing you would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the other part that's like that to me is the crystal, like going into the crystal dimension, which is just the kind oh, of yeah. stuff that I think as a casual reader, I just found it hard to follow along with like <laughs> contextually, like cosmically what was happening. Like I, I got the, and then the parts that really worked of, it, of, of that for me were the more human moments where, you know, we have, um, confronting Ashley reflections and Victoria reflections and, and all that good stuff, which I thought was incredible. But the more like galaxy brain stuff, I feel like I'm just, when I'm not doing a podcast deep diving on a thing, I feel like I just don't get enough deep into it to understand a lot of these higher level things. It's, it's so interesting. Cause I, I, I found that bit great. Like again, just as a, like I was reading Ward, I kind of alternated between reading it as it was coming out and all like, you know, falling a bit behind and then binging like, you know, six chapters at a time. Um, and I, I, I found the shard space stuff great. Like, I think, like, I think I followed most of it. Uh, it definitely gets, I, I agree. Like it gets a real fucking abstract and we'll actually get into that a bit at the end of this podcast, I think. But, um, uh, like for me, it was actually the, the prison arc on Shin. That was the bit that I found the hardest to follow. Interesting. Like, and, and, and like i don't think that was the case for most people so i wonder how much you know it's, it's just personal things or might have been something to do with you know the way i read that part or whatever but like i didn't follow what was happening i was like i thought we were going to fight teacher and now we're in a prison somewhere like i just yeah i i just individually i just had no idea what was going on interesting i don't feel like i had that reaction to the prison arc but maybe that's just because chris to me is a character that will totally like is so compelling to watch <laughs> that it will just carry me through anything because Chris is just such a bag of craziness in whatever dynamic he is in. Yeah, for those who don't listen to like our other podcasts, I, I I'm a very much big fan of like uh, like just assholes, like like you know kind of cheeky asshole characters like like Chris. Like Chris is just someone who despite the fact that he was just such a twat for the whole story, I couldn't help but just be like, have a smile on my face every time he was in the story. Mm. Yeah. I wouldn't call Chris a cheeky asshole, but I get what you mean. He's, he's so fun to watch in that way of like, I love to hate him. Yeah. He's shit, but he's shit in a way that is so entertaining to watch him like set up a situation and then fail because of his own shitness. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You just, it's fun to watch someone get their just desserts and they're not doing anything too terrible. It's not like Amy where it's like, you no, actually yeah. can't stand her. It's, it's, um, 
I mean, he does do some pretty heinous things, but it's like he, he's still incompetent enough that it's fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, he's he's self-destructing almost as much as he's hurting everyone else, which kind of makes it just more fun. Yeah, I'll say. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Actually, I mean, I mean, speaking of, uh, the next segment was, and I love this, I wrote, who's your favorite character and why is it Kenzie? And I was very glad to see that you actually just agreed that it was I Kenzie. I mean, it is Kenzie. It can't not be Kenzie. Kenzie is such a compelling and interesting and incredible character. Yeah, um, I was I was worried this segment was going to have to be a debate if you'd said anyone else but Kenzie. No, so this I, is good. Like there's, there's no one else that is on Kenzie's level in terms of so great and so, so terrible. Um, <laughs> like, I think here's what it is. Kenzie is... The perfect blend of all of the best like tropes in Wild Bo's stories, right? So, okay, <clears throat> number one, <laughs> people who have powers that are really incredibly OP, but it's like a struggle for them to not like abuse their powers or be abused by their powers on a personal level. Incredible. Yeah, Kenzie like, is um, like the e- example of that in a story yeah. full of examples of it, right? Yeah, she she'd almost be my go-to now if I had to explain the monkey paw nature of parahuman powers. Right, Jeez. which is a concept that is not unique to Kenzie. That's something that no. literally every parahuman has. <laughs> yeah. And also, uh, like, I think I think for me, like, not to get too weirdly personal about all this, but, like, I found a lot of Kenzie's particular, like, struggles and flaws quite relatable. And, like, I could just picture myself, like, if you got that power and you were her, it's the worst fucking thing. Because <laughs> her whole thing was that she kept, like, trying too hard to help people and, like, yep. invade their privacy. And it was like, oh... Yeah, well, I mean, parahumans.jpg, right? What can you say? Beyond, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's the, the classic shards taking your flaws and fucking throwing them back in your face in yeah. a well, new way. And it's just like, yeah, like, I could just see myself making my own, like, just falling for some of the same mistakes she did with that power. Like, it's, it's so, yeah, she got such a rough go of it. Yeah. Um. So, you know, that's just one of the classic Wapo tropes that Kenzie is, I think, the best at. Two mm-hmm. is, of course, the uh, incredibly horrifying child, a classic Wild yes. Boat, uh, style, so much so that he based an entire story around a classic, <laughs> a terrible, horrifying child. I don't think um, I've read that one. That's um, the one you haven't read, but that's, <laughs> I mean, I haven't read all of it, but I know that's what it's about. Yeah. Um, like, I remember, I remember, like, three arcs in toward being like, I hope we get a, a Riley and Kenzie scene. Because that will just be fucking hilarious, and I mean, and you know, it took it, it took right until the end, but, but um, it's so perfect because they're both they're both examples of we have these incredible powers that have fucked up our lives so much, and we're both learning from each other and advising and helping and supporting each other in trying to be more than that, and it's so yeah. beautiful, right? Well, I think for me, like the 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 link I made between Kenzie and Riley was actually even better delivered on like their their meeting was great but i actually think i got more out of what i was after through that connection with the whole thing with um grew and kenzie Mm. which i just again and i think this was said a lot when it happened like fuck that came out of nowhere and was just so brilliant like that i think that was that moment where like kenzie and grew got put in the same room and started talking and i was like fuck like of course like, yeah, even... they're perfect. They're literally perfect. And it's the kind of thing where I don't know if Wabo had this plan all along or it just kind of happened and he was like, oh shit, this is perfect. But it yeah. is, it's incredible. 
yeah it came together and, and again a testament to the the power of power humans in that like it doesn't just work on their character level but like even their powers like Groot was like the one person who could decide like lock Kenzie off from the outside world and i like that, that that to me is just such a great example of how great these stories are that their powers overlap in such an interesting way that is just nothing compared to the way their characters when they started talking i was like oh my god they're gonna get so much out of each other well yeah and it's only i think i don't know how i didn't think of this earlier but it's only somewhere like halfway through that conversation where Bruce talking about how this is making him uncomfortable and it took me about halfway through the chapter until i realized like Oh yeah, Kenzie is just like exactly like the person who completely fucking ruined Gru's life. Yeah. Like, of course, of course she is. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Oh. That was, yeah. I I'm changing my favorite moment in Ward to that one now. Yeah, fair. Expect enough. me to do that at least two more times throughout <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> um, so yes, the horrifying child trope, another Wabo yep. staple that Kenzie exemplifies more than any. Yeah. Um, the, the third one is terrible parents, which again, yep. a classic Wabo trope, which Kenzie, I think checks that box completely she's got to be right up there yeah um and i would say the fourth one is a character that you can't help but fully support and want to encourage even as they're doing horrible things like yeah they're doing horrible things and you're like no please don't but (laughs) they do and you still just can't help but love them and want to cherish them and 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 help them bloom into a, a better version of themselves yeah exactly you're not hating them for doing the wrong thing you're just sitting there going no please please like stop and everyone forgive her and and help her get better yeah exactly you're like oh no no please don't do that okay okay, you've done it that's okay let's try and move (laughs) on and grow from it we can fix this (laughs) yeah exactly um and then the fifth one i want to point out is just a character like making mistakes and trying to improve right like which is just relatable on so many levels and kenzie is a great example of that someone who's just trying to be better than they were yesterday and that's beautiful and it's yeah it's this perfect kenzie is just the perfect blend of all the best things about wabo stories and even just stories in general right and it's they're therefore definitive proof that she is the best <laughs> yeah end of essay um mm-hmm. yeah i i think as well like something and this is maybe related to that children who are horrifying thing but the way wabo was able to use like the cuter parts of her to like make things she did more horrifying like when she'd hack people and put like smiley emoticons on their screens was always just fucking comedy gold um there there was so much about wait kenzie always had so many great lines that were snuck in like i remember there's one i think it's when sveta and weld are breaking up and Mm. kenzie's kenzie victoria talking about it and kenzie just very quickly is sort of like oh sveta's about to come out of the bathroom like you'd better you better go and like i completely missed it the first time and then like somebody pointed out to me it's just like what kenzie knew where sveta was at in hold on Mm -hmm. um like there there are so many moments like that where kenzie just says stuff and on point question inspection you're like that's fucking horrifying that she was able to say that yeah um pretty consistent with uh with kenzie i think there's just these (laughs) moments and i think victoria has those thoughts too of oh i really should talk to her about that (laughs) but wait wait, yeah even her costume like she has a little hair bun so she's got this like a little like mickey mouse sort of look going on but then they have like eyes i think at some point wait so just just the idea that she has like extra eyes on the top of her head in her hair buns it's just like yeah she's that perfect mix of like cutesy and, and creepy or like the cutesy enhances the creepy in just such a fun way 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's Kenzie. And anyone yeah. who has any complaints, I mean, at study Zorgor up and you're on, wrong. On Twitter. Yeah, that's all good. Yeah. Um, what's yeah. our next official segment? <clears throat> uh, the next one is, you know, uh, well, it's a bit fun. What is your favorite new power that showed up in Ward? Yes. Um, look, there's a lot of interesting ones. I yeah. think the, I think the major malfunctions as a group are just full of really interesting powers and really sorry, great I, I just sorry sorry mm. to interrupt but i do just need to say what's hilarious about this answer is in our notes that's not what ruben has written what ruben has done is actually just made a list that went withdrawal caryatid finale i think i just like the major malfunctions <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> like it just, I, I love the way that that just popped up so organically when, for when you. i was thinking like oh who are some really cool new powers that i like i was like oh withdrawal is really cool oh yeah caryatid oh finale you know what? They're just all great. <laughs> um, because they are. Like, yeah. each of their powers is so unique. And they're such great examples of um, us seeing, like, the more human side of powers and how it affects people's lives outside of, mm. like, in a not as explicit way as some of the other main characters that we see, right? Like, we learn yeah. about Withdrawal's past. We learn about Carrie Tid and Finale and the relationship when we're diving into the majors. And it's so... It's so good. Oh, and Withdrawal's <laughs> power is so cool. He's just like a big syringe robot juice man from Portal 2. And <laughs> character t- turns into a statue and Finale does finger guns at people. And that's all you need. Like, it's great. Yeah. I, like, I think Finale is is maybe the most fun of those just for, like, like the, the idea that some alien, like, super being got in her head and was like, you need to point at stuff and make, like, s- noises to do explosions it's just so great <laughs> yeah that's what i would do if i was an alien i mean yeah same um, um i didn't i didn't mention in my notes as well um crystal clear who is a character that i really fell yes. in love with hard at the start the idea of a case 53 who just can like pull crystals out of his face and also can just like see things about people through their auras just i actually awesome. don't know if he is a case 53 wait isn't I think he, he- no, like that, that, that it's actually a thing that comes up. I think World asks him and um, he's not because he can pull the crystals out of his eyes and like appear like, or he can pass for a normal human without right. the crystals in his eyes. He just kind of stops doing that. Right. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um. Anyway. But yeah. Um, love, I, him. I mean, love that power. Mine's nursery. Like it just, it yeah. has to be like. That bit. It, oh God. Okay. Talk about favorite bits. You know the bit I'm talking about. Um, the throat baby. <laughs> the throat baby. I mean, <laughs> god damn. What even happened to Wabo in his path to make him like this? Yeah, you got to imagine that, like, the day before he wrote that, he just, like, you know, choked on a bit of ham or something, and and that just turned into, like, you know, he's <sighs> like, what if this was a thousand times worse? Yeah, like, um, accidentally choked on a hair and, like, pulled out a long hair or something by mistake. Yeah. He was like... Well, I can turn this into something horrifying. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, especially like, I guess this is why we do like packed and pale coverage because nursery was my like just instant thought for who's the best power in ward. <laughs> you um, monster! <laughs> like I was just like, it's I was just like, oh, nurseries are so cool. I think Darlene deserves a special shout out as well. Like I just, it's it's such a unique like little twist on the hive mind idea because it's like the hive body. 
Mm. Um, I don't know. I was actually like, I had a theory running for most of the story that Darlene's power was going to be like crucial to the end mm. because it was, you know, so many things about like connecting to and understanding people. Mm. That, you know, she's like a more consensual, okay version of Capri in a lot of ways, Darlene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. So, I mean, that didn't go anywhere, but like just the, the concept of her power and watching the chicken tenders, like put it into action all these times was just great. Yep. And again, her, with that. her interlude. <laughs> yes. Um, I also like Lord of Loss, who's just a weird character to like yeah. the power of, because he's just like a dude that can turn into three different things. It's like a pretty simple, weird little power, but I just thought it's so just a cool, like very specific and very unique, and that's quite cool as well. Yeah. Well, can't he, can't he turn into more things, but he just sort of doesn't? Like... Because there's, like, a whole thing where, like, Marquis is giving him, like, lessons on how to not mm. be so repetitive and shit. Mm. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. He's got a niche. It works for him. Yeah. I well, mean, it doesn't. Until but. the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Well, so for our next bit, let's talk a little bit just about how how Ward works as a sequel. Because um, this is, as far as I sort of know, like, the only Wild Bow sequel. Well, um yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was about I, to again. say, no, we do a show on another one, Elliot. But I guess it's not technically a sequel. No, it's a bit different. Um, and, and uh, yeah, we'll talk about that a lot more at the end. We're going to do a bit of a Pact Spoilers thing later, but we'll, we'll make sure those of you who haven't read Pact get plenty of warning. Um, but wait, wait, just, you know, like on a real super simple level, I think we already sort of touched on a lot of this. Like Worm, to me, was looking at about how sh- trauma shapes us into who we are. So, like, so much of Worm was, you know, hopping into these interludes and saying, oh, this is why this person is the way they are. And then Ward just kind of took the next step and it said, okay, now you kind of understand how these people became who they are. How do, you know, if they're still damaged individuals, how do they approach trying to become better? Like, And, and you know, and what does better mean? Mm. Yeah, I, I do like the idea that it is it is a kind of direct, like, extension of the themes in Worm, right? I think there was this kind of fear that I had when we found out, oh, we're going back to, you know, we're going back to the world of parahumans. I definitely had this thought of, like, well, but no, you've done that. Like, I don't want to just see the Taylor story 2.0. I don't want to see you just do that again. And it's such an interesting sequel because it, it takes these themes and says, Okay, we talk about these things, but what happens next? What are the things yeah. that you need to do next after that? And and answers that in a very comprehensive and, and unique way, which I thought, like, to the extent of uh, some of this material, some of the stuff that goes into Ward, I, I don't think it, I don't think Worm could have been written without some of that in Wildbo's head already, right? Like, without these ideas of yeah. this is what should happen next because it's so thematically appropriate. Uh, yeah. I, I completely agree. Like it just it flow they one flows into the other so incredibly well. Um, in just about every way, and especially because like the other thing I I really wanted to talk about here was just how unique the world felt in Ward. Not just like compared to Worm, although like also compared to Worm, like it's crazy how different Ward feels to Worm, just like on a world level. Um, considering it is like mostly the same people and same places, kind of. Um. But, like, this was such a, at least in my head, like, vibrant and well-lit story. Like, you know, you've got these golden skyscrapers. So much of it was happening in forests. 
we get to like the the shard space which is all sort of like crimson it's just like it was such a bright and in my mind like uniquely looking world and i just think that's so cool to to follow on from a story that was you know kind of in a lot of ways just sort of like our world and and various like gritty superhero Mm. parts of that and just turn it into like a landscape that's kind of unlike anything else i can think of Mm. yeah i was kind of expecting it to be either a bit more post-apocalyptic or a bit more kind of like westerny style i guess yeah. But it doesn't end up being that. It definitely finds its own unique tone. It's not cyberpunk. It's not post-apocalyptic. It's just kind of damaged future <laughs> in an interesting way. Yeah. Well, it's like it's it's what it is. Is it's a it's a world that has tried to rebuild itself into exactly what it was and kind of had the means to do it, but not quite. Which again, yeah. I think the city works as a great metaphor for Victoria. I think that's been touched on a fair bit um, in in various places, but. I mean, you know, it's even gold-colored. Like, there's there's tons of stuff, I think, linking the health of the city to where Victoria is mentally throughout the story. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. Most post-apocalyptic things, it's kind of like back to Western days where it's like, oh, we ride horses and it's like scavenged parts of the old world, whereas this is like a haphazardly built new one just with its own unique color palette that was kind of defined. And it's just, like, that's just so cool. Yeah, I think it works exceedingly well. For that exact purpose. I, re- I really do like it. Um, you know what else is great? Just just like as well. I think Walbo's mentioned, um, I, th- I think in, in the interview, uh, he talked about this with Matt and Scott. Like each of his protagonists is a bit of a response to, to some previous ones. Oh, sorry, to the previous one. And, yeah. and what's great about Ward being his fourth story is like, I think Vicky works so well as a response to Taylor as well as she does to um, Cy. The, Sylvester, the, yeah. I, I haven't really read Twig, so um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's him. But um, like v- Victoria, uh, yeah, it's just such a great sort of mirror protagonist to Taylor. Like she was, she was sort of born as a hero and always kind of stuck to that path. Like was kind of born into para- like the parahuman world, whereas like obviously that was not Taylor. Um, and that really shows, like, you know, we, we already sort of touched on Victoria's mantra. Like, Taylor was someone who was, in a lot of ways, defined by just the way she hated any authority that wasn't her. Yeah. Um, and, like, Victoria's mantra literally, literally opens with, follow the law. Yes. Um, so just, like, immediately, <laughs> just completely opposite ends of the spectrum in how they're approaching the world. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. I, I agree. Victoria is a res- a response to Taylor, and I think that's great. And I, I'm actually so happy that Taylor never showed up in this story. Can you imagine? Yeah. Like I yeah. remember when this story was starting, and the, this was a conversation we had of like, "Man, I hope Taylor doesn't show up," <laughs> and she didn't. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, yeah. I also think like again, Taylor. Another big part of Taylor was the way she could compartmentalize her life. Like I think mm. that's been mentioned. It's it's already coming up a lot on decomposing worm, which if you're not listening to, you totally should. Mm-hmm. Um. And I love how Victoria is like, again, kind of the opposite. Like Taylor kind of just put her life in boxes and didn't let anything bleed through. Like she's like, no, that's my civilian life and XYZ. Yeah. This is my cape life, XYZ. Victoria is someone who has no walls between all that stuff. Her, she has no secret identity. Everything is is one. And what she has is all these parts of herself. And she's trying to figure out how to put them into the world. Like, you know, she had the scholar. She had 
um, like her old violent self, and and it was kind of her. She was ta- she was looking internally at all the parts of herself and trying to figure out how she wanted to line them up. Whereas Taylor was very much kind of doing the opposite and refusing to look at how the various parts of her were lining up. Yeah, that's interesting, and it makes me wonder, you know, because obviously the the humanity versus the cape manatee para humanity, I guess, <laughs> is such an important thing in worm. It actually, uh, sorry, in Ward actually makes me wonder what would it be like if Taylor was the protagonist of Ward and we had this person who had a secret identity and was still balancing things like their human relationship with their father with their cape life how would that kind of shape up the story of Ward yeah well I guess okay like if we were to sort of just sort of think about what yeah. Ward would be like if Taylor was the yeah. protagonist so say Jessica had gone to Earth Aleph found Taylor and said coach the team yeah like I think what Yeah, yeah, you're right. And you know what? I think that, uh, yeah, totally. Man, yeah. that was a great conversation. I'm glad we talked about that. Yeah, that, sorry, that, that Taylor as the protagonist bit went on for a while. Although, yeah. I think we might lose a little bit of it to that weird audio bug. Hopefully yeah, not too weird. Much, but... uh, yeah, I don't know. My audio's being a little weird, but that's okay. I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, yeah, great. Yeah, I'm great glad we had that. It was great. Yeah, that was good. Um, um, well, I guess, should we talk about, uh, you know, we've talked about Taylor. We've for a, I think we're like, what do we talk about Taylor for like two hours? Anyway, oh, we've talked yeah. about Taylor for a few hours. We talked about uh, we've talked about Victoria for an hour or so. Let's talk about the next protagonist in Parahumans Three, which is going to be called Wish. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, cool. well, who do, who do you think the protagonist is going to be? Oh man, I should have figured out who, who has to do with wishing. <laughs> um, man, Diana. I can't remember the name of the cape. <laughs> The cape. Who was the magician cape in Worm? It wasn't Merlin, but it was like you know, you know who I'm talking about, right? Like circus? No, the magician, the one who did what, magic. Trickster? No, who? Uh, are you intentionally <laughs> doing this? He could like he had like pocket dimensions, and he could make like water come out of a pocket dimension. It's like what? ah, it's a water spell. He's like what, a fucking Mer- Merlin. Merdin, that's right. I said it was like Merlin, but different. Oh, I thought um, you said not Merlin. Sorry. Yeah, it is not Merlin. It's Merdin. It's <laughs> well, yeah, close okay. enough. Okay. <laughs> um, that would work. Would that work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. I, 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 you know, I want it to be Kenzie just because I want more Kenzie. Yeah. And it can be called Wire. Wire. Oh, I like that. People wearing a wire. She's holding on, being held up by, yeah, I don't know. There's something there. Oh, I'm sure, uh, sure Wildbo would think of something cleverer. I, I now I want it to be um, crystal clear because that's the character I want to see more of. <laughs> Maybe Blindside would be fun. What would a Blindside focused story be like? It could I don't be called think you could do Wink. too long a story. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, a lot of this would depend on like what do you reckon Fortuna wrote in the crystals? Because I think that would be a mm. thread you'd have to pick up in a Parahumans three. Yeah, like if it if it was a main series title. Well, I don't know. This is the problem: is the message for Tuna wrote in the crystals was actually just a booty call to her partner. It was just, "Hey, baby, you up?" And so it's not plot relevant. It was just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my theory is that it was, um, Abaddon, please come back. Like, take me back. I'm sorry, I went to Eden. <laughs> this was a mistake. This place. I want sucks. you back, Abaddon. <laughs> take me back. <laughs> Give me another chance. Um. No, like, for, for real, while we're sort of talking about, like, the idea of a Parahumans 3, it's funny how, like, I think I sort of said after Worm, it'd be okay if there was never any more Parahumans. Like, Worm so completely told the story it was telling. There was definitely, like, like, the epilogue left this sense of there is a next chapter, but I would have been content 
with not getting it if that had been the decision Wild Bo had made. Mm. That said, I'm obviously super fucking glad that we got Ward because it's like amazing. But Ward has this different ending where it's not, there's not this sense of that is the end of this chapter and there is another one, but that's separate. Uh, Ward kind of ends on this note of, you know, the grind is always going to be there and we mm. just have to keep pushing through. Yeah. So it's almost like, it, you know, there's there's a sense that like Parahumans three would would have to pick up in a, in a way I don't know. Like Wabo's cleverer than me, and I, again, I already said this about Ward, so he's proven me wrong before. But like, I, it'd be interesting to see how a Parahumans three sort of thing could pick up after Ward's ending and not like a little bit undermine its idea of like pushing through the grind. Mm, I wonder if there's a way to do that. I mean, I I would feel like if Wabo does decide to go back to the Parahumans universe it would have to not be a continuation of this story it would have to be something like an alternate thing or a like prequel or you know something else taking place during the years between worm and ward or something like that yeah there's a lot more stories to tell in the world absolutely whether they're like you know sort of parahumans 3 like post ward um like i yeah i mean i don't have a picture for what that looks like but again my original picture for ward when i found out there was a pair of humans too was oh this will be like 100 years in the future um oh, yeah and I, I, was off, I was off by about you know 50 times yeah yeah so yeah uh yeah i don't know maybe one day we'll see maybe we'll see <laughs> <laughs> um so that's all the, the ward specific stuff to talk about right yeah i think that's that's sort of everything we we wanted to cover here um i mean you know if if you're interested in more um Matt and Scott covered the story very comprehensively, which is which is why we're just sort of you know only touching on some little bits because they've they've talked about most of of what really needs talking about in this story. Yep. Um, but the one unique take that we can bring to it is comparing this story to another story that we know more about, which is Pact. <laughs> um, yes. So we're um we're going to dive into that soon. Um, if you just before the rest of you jump out um to to run away from the pack stuff like thanks for listening uh if, if you liked what we're doing here come check out pale reflections definitely yeah. check out pale even if you don't yes. want to listen to more of us it's, it's very good um and we're having a lot of fun tracking it so you know yep. please give us a try at pale reflections it's available on doofmedia.com or yes. you know wherever you find podcasts uh, yes you can also support the doof media network and all the great shows on the network by going to our patreon become a patron at patreon.com forward slash doof media yes and of course uh you know we said a lot matt scott said a lot so why aren't you doing it head on over to patreon.com forward slash wildbo and uh you know throw him some money for writing these fucking fantastic stories yeah um now should we talk about pact yes pact so spoilers if you, ahead Beware. if you have not read pact it's time to mark go this as <laughs> listened and and run away yeah go read just go read pact and then come back yeah it's yeah fine. that's It'll what you gotta do long. mark this is a pause thing here go read pact it'll only take you a couple of days yeah. um that's if you don't stop and then you can come back here yeah perfect all right so let's start by comparing characters is that where we should go comparing protagonists yeah i think like v- victoria and blake as a comparison it was just the first thing both of us wrote down because yeah you know we already sort of touched on this idea that like while both protagonists are a bit of a response to the previous one and if you sort yes. of look at that as a yo-yo between hero and villain blake and victoria are the two heroes <laughs> what are um, you talking about elliot blake turns into a literal monster i mean but no you're right he's got a yeah. very heroic mindset <laughs> for, yeah for for most of the story um but yeah like, i don't know yeah victoria and blake definitely like there were definitely moments reading ward where i was just like oh 
that's a total Blake move, Victoria, yeah. what you've just done there. But I think the thing that makes it so interesting to me in comparison is, you know, Blake is literally someone who will light himself on fire to keep somebody else warm, right? Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure Wabo, when Wabo was planning out who he wanted the main character of Pack to be, Wabo wrote down the sentence, lights himself on fire to keep other people warm, and then thought, now how would he do that? Oh, he'd have to be a tree, <laughs> and then worked backwards from there. I'm pretty sure it's the exact thing that happened. Um, and Victoria is such an interesting contrast to that because she is that same character, but she much more is challenged on it and learns to move on from it than Blake does. And so it's a response to yeah. Blake in a, such an interesting way because Victoria takes that Blakeish mindset, I guess I'll call it, and is challenged and grows up from it in such a way that I wish Blake would, but he never does until I guess the very, very end of the story. Yeah, like like Victoria has multiple points in this story where like physiotherapists and like, you know, psychiatrists are like chasing her up and being like, hey, you're avoiding our appointments. And, you know, she eventually sort of starts to get on top of that. Whereas like, yeah, Blake never reached that point where he wasn't sort of, you know, yelling at them behind him. Yeah, yeah, I just got to I just got to go fight this demon first. Mm, yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, like I think Victoria just yeah managed to take those sort of steps to recognize her patterns and start to overcome them which which blake didn't get to do oh well but, i think one of the major reasons for that is victoria's story features a cast of people that are all trying to help each other get better whereas blake's story <laughs> has other characters who all want to help each other kind of but um it's not the goal of those characters isn't recovery <laughs> you know the goal of those yeah. characters is survival and for blake that means survival at all costs yeah, yeah, you're right. But like, I love, I love what you said about Victoria kind of being the response or the next step to a Blake situation. Like, if Blake had made it long enough, hopefully he could have done a Victoria, basically. Yeah, and we almost kind of find out that he does in whatever form he ends up in. Well, yeah. I mean, I think he just manages to hold on to the last parts of himself, whereas Victoria kind of rebuilds herself yeah. into something new and better. She's able to walk back from the edge, I guess, whereas Blake yeah. fell off the edge and then tries to <laughs> climb back up. Yeah, Rose just kind of glued him back together. Yeah. Um, cool. I mean, that's that's the main thing I want to touch on with uh, with comparing Blake and... Uh, I almost said Rose, goddammit. And Victoria. <laughs> um, should Victoria, we... Victoria and Rose. That, that That's an interesting one. I feel like they're not similar at all. No, Rose, no, Rose, Rose is closer to the tattletale, like... You got you got Victoria, you know, kind of similar arcs too in a way. Like Rose is closer to the wretch, I think, if we can characters. <laughs> Jesus, harsh. Um. <laughs> That's, mean. That's mean to the wretch. I'm sorry. Um, let's talk about because we t kind of alluded to the fact that Ward is explicitly a sequel, whereas Pale isn't a sequel, right? Yeah, I, I've, maybe that's worth um, touching on as well. Um, Whereas this is interesting, and, and I, this is maybe going to sound like a criticism, but that's not how I intend it. Um, Ward is a story that explicitly is about themes and even a moral that it's trying to impart, right? Maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but it's talking about and exploring explicitly recovery from trauma. And it's got this central kind of theme or, or uh, like intellectual question that it's trying to talk about, whereas Pale isn't. I mean, as far as we can tell so far, Unpacked also kind of isn't. Um, has themes, but it doesn't feel like it has a, this is what this story is explicitly discussing, you know? 
I am. Um, I don't know about that. Like, I like I. I think the ending of Pact to me mm. kind of condensed down into this idea of like you need to try to make things better. Yes. Like I, I would argue that especially the last like third of Pact really cements this idea that like just accepting the status quo isn't the way to go about things. Like you know it's going to suck and and whatever, but like you can make things better if you just. You know, if everyone just tries, you you can make it better. I agree with that, but it doesn't feel like it's as explicitly a kind of moral as as the the the, the equivalent themes in Ward feel. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe that's just my my read, and it's um not necessarily as true. But it feels yeah. it feels right to me. That, that's fair. Yeah, I yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not so sure. I I agree, but um. I mean, either way, I definitely, I, I think sort of to what you were saying a bit, like Pale, I don't know how Pale will fit into that. Yes. Because it's so different as a not a sequel. Like we, yeah. we touched on how Worm and Ward, you know, are linked in in sort of what they're talking about um, as sequels. I think Pale is sitting a bit beside Pact, which is maybe mm. why it's not a full sequel. It's it's mm. sitting beside it. No, not just so... Walbo would would you know isolate people who hadn't gone back and read Pact, but also just because he is maybe telling a story that doesn't have to follow on thematically as well. Yeah, um, to compare the two a little bit more as well. One thing I really like about Pale is it kind of has the same vibe as as the Parahuman stories in terms of um, the the personality that you have and the flaws that your personality has become a kind of important weapon used against you and become an integral part of the way that you operate in this heightened reality world, right? In Paragons, yeah. it's superpowers, and in, in Pale, it's fucking spooky magic. Um, but I, I really love... It feels like Pale is doing that in a much more organic way. There's no, as far as I know, space aliens that are, you know, exemplifying <laughs> the problems with your personality. But it is your personality kind of explicitly manifesting itself through the systems of Pale in a way that I think is very nuanced and cool. Yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit with Scott during uh, that segment of All Packed Up, which mm. should be on YouTube pretty soon, actually. Mm. Um, the, this idea that, like, in Parahumans, you sort of, you have the trigger event and, like, you shape the power you get and then that continues to shape you. Whereas in in the Pactverse or the other verse, you, you and the world are, are, like, bouncing off each other a lot. Like, Pact doesn't... Like you know, with Pact, you're you're constantly having to make choices about who mm, you are, um, yeah. and you can change the sorts of magic you do, and there's consequences when you try to do stuff like that and and stuff, obviously. But it's um, there's a lot more freedom for you to fuck yourself up in different ways in the Pact verse. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and in a way that I guess continues to play off of your character flaws rather than just, or you know, not necessarily flaws, but often flaws. <laughs> um yeah yeah. as opposed to this one defining moment being the thing that kind of sets your character into stone um yeah i think the other thing i wanted to talk about while we're just like talking about ward and pact and 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 similar ideas like maybe it's just because like deep impact was just finishing up a lot of the abyss stuff as it happened in ward but like the shard space felt very pacty to me in some ways in Mm. ward like just because it was such a symbolic space like there were a lot of things about the shard space where it was, you know, as a data bank of like people, it was taking a lot of like the emphasis of those people into how it operated. Um, 
and like you know that just uh, like you know nowadays whenever i see something where you know everything's that metaphorical and symbolic sort of made literal that just sort of says packed to me i guess yeah yeah fair enough um yeah i i do like that idea i i that is obviously something that we've talked about a fair amount that's one of my favorite things in pact is the idea of it being a world where the abstract is made literal and i think that fits yeah. very well with um with uh the shard space conceptually uh yeah yeah so let's exactly. see that in your crossover fictions everybody <laughs> like in the shard space what would happen i'm just i'm just asking <laughs> yeah uh yeah you know it's it's bound to happen eventually i think in some sort of it probably already has let's be honest (laughs) um but yeah so i think that's all we've got on ward yeah so we've got ward (laughs) Um, anyway we we had ward too now yeah we we also have got ward is that a thing um we already did the outro so yeah true we already did the (laughs) outro so i guess this episode is just going to end abruptly but um thanks for joining folks and Anything else you want to say, Elliot? Bye. Bye.